Well, how many of you are ready to begin week three of the Christian Atheist? Let's, uh, let's start this together. No, just move my appointments. I'm running late. No, I'll explain it when I get there. Yeah, yeah I'm frustrated. What, what else do you want me to say? talking about uh, how it's easier for a camel to get through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. We don't know what he's talking about. Do you mind just going back down and explaining whatever you guys are talking about, huh? I'm not interested. No, 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 no. I, I am. I'm just telling you. Peter, no. hey, that's enough. How'd you know my name? Everybody knows Peter. Everybody knows the disciple that, uh, that walked on water. I did. I walked on water. It was the most amazing thing. And how you fell in the water. Concentrate on the first part of the story. That's the best part. I walked on water. It was amazing. I walked on water. Anyway, listen. I'm not interested, thank you. What do you mean you're not interested? You were there, you asked him, what should you do to inherit eternal life? And then you, like, turned away. None of us got it. I mean, most people, like, accept what he has to I say. I came to help him. What? I wanted to come help this guy. I believed in everything that he stood for. I thought I'd get on his team and help him out. I'd go and talk to him. He asked me, am I doing all these things? I'm doing everything that he asked. And then he says, I'm not good enough. i got to go do something else. Give up everything to follow him? No, 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 no. No, no, that's not going to happen. No, but you, you, you don't understand. I mean, I mean, it, it is so worth it. I mean, I don't know what he's told you to give up, but all of us, all of us have given up something. I mean, you can talk to any one of us. We've all given up something. You've given up what? You've given up what? What'd you do before you followed him? I was a fisherman. You were a fisherman. So you gave up long hours, rough hands, smelling like a dumpster behind a long John Silver's. That's what you gave up. Do you understand who I am? Do you understand what I have? Do you know how you get these kind of things? Yeah, I understand that you, you you look like you're a real important person oh. and everything, okay? No, no, it's not about being important. I'm a good person. I'm a good man. Right. And I was going to help him. Right. The road to hell is it's paved, paved with... with good intentions. Yeah, I know it. I know it all. And he decides that he's going to make the rules. No, no, no. I'm the one who decides the terms. I'm the one who makes those kind of decisions. What's, what's so valuable that you're holding on to? What is it? I mean, uh, look, I don't know what he asked you, but I can tell you this. That's just Jesus. I mean, he looks into people's eyes, and he knows what they got to give up. Everybody holds on to something. Come on, just come back with me, okay? We can work it out. We can talk this out. If you don't have a chance, how do any of us have a chance? Come on. I can't. No, no, you can't. Listen to me. No. Okay, maybe, maybe I didn't present the case well enough here. Come on, you could just come back. No. You bought into the lie. Bought into the lie. three of the Christian atheists. How many of you are ready for a tough one today? 
Uh, out of the three so far, this is definitely the worst one. Uh, I have not been looking forward to it. It has been painful to put it together, and I've had the question a number of times, God, do you really want me to say that? Uh, it's not going to be pleasant, but I encourage you to not zone out today, not phase it out, don't glaze it over, don't don't you know? Just, don't just sit there apathetically. Really allow the Holy Spirit to work on you today and speak to your heart. I know this is going to be tough and challenging for all of us. I'm in the same boat with you. God is dealing with some of these areas in my life right now, and so it, it is just as tough for me sitting up here today as for you sitting out there. So let's really open our heart together and allow the Holy Spirit to deal with us today on some of the stuff we're going to be talking about. A Christian atheist, if you're following along in your notes, inside of your worship pack uh, is the notes for this morning with some fill-in-the-blanks and the scripture that we're going to be looking at today. So I encourage you to follow along with us. If you're following along, a Christian atheist is somebody who believes in God but lives as if he doesn't exist. Someone who believes in God but lives as if he doesn't exists. Week one, we talked about a Gallup poll that was done recently in America that says nine out of 10 Americans today believe in God or a higher power. But obviously, if we look at the country around of us, many of us simply do not live as if God exists. And this week, again, like I said, will be one of the toughest and most difficult of the series so far. So let's just face it. Let's deal with it. Let's own it. Let's let it sting and hurt a little bit today and not try to uh, uh, glaze over it. Uh, up here, I have a dollar bill, whether you have a 10, a 20, a 5, a 100, whatever it is on the back of the U.S. currency, in the back of every bill that we produce, that we print, it says, in God we trust. And I'm glad that our money says in God we trust. But the reality is in America today, that's simply not true for many people in our country today. Many people simply do not trust, cherish, love, serve and obey God. Even though the bill says in God we trust. Week one, we said, I believe in God, but I just don't fear him. I believe in God, but I want to do whatever it is I want to do. Week two, I believe in God, but I don't want to go overboard. And I don't want to be one of those crazy fanatics with my faith. I want to keep my, my faith compartmentalized on Sunday morning, but I don't want a, a Christian faith that will spill out to the rest of the week that will actually change the way I live my life. I don't want to have to change my preferences and my lifestyle for my faith. I just don't want to go overboard. Week number three, today we're going to say, I believe in God. But oftentimes, I trust in money. I believe in God, but oftentimes, I trust in money. And I know very few people would say that is true about themselves. But if you take a look at the way many of us live our lives, you will find out and you will, you will have to face the harsh reality, if you are honest, that many of us, it is true, yes, we believe in God, but oftentimes, we trust in Money. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 12, verse 34. He said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Wherever your treasure is, wherever your treasure is, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Wherever you put your treasure, wherever you spend your treasure, wherever your treasure goes, there the desires of your heart will also be. 
And the reality is today, many of us simply do not treasure God. We do not treasure the things of God. We do not trust in God. We, we, we oftentimes treasure the things of this world and put, put our treasure in the things of this world, oftentimes more than we put our treasure in the things of God. And the reason many of us simply believe in God but trust in money is because money is a false God. Money in America today is a false God. This is a false God. This money promises to provide what only God can give you. And I'm going to look at two things today that money promises to provide, but only God can give you. If you're following in your notes, the first thing that money promises to provide is happiness. Happiness. Money promises to provide you happiness. And I know we've all heard the saying, uh, money can't buy happiness. How many of you have heard money can't buy happiness? How many of you would honestly agree today that, that yes, I, I believe that statement to Drew. Money can't buy happiness. How many of you would agree with that today? I, th- I think all of us would agree money can't buy happiness. But let me also ask you this question. And I want you to be honest. I want you to really be honest right now. How many of you would honestly say, if I just had a few more of these, life would be a little easier? I mean, honestly, if I just had a few more of these, life would be a little easier. Life would be a little better. I'd be a little happier if I just had a couple more of these. I think we'd all say that. But look at the hypocrisy in that. We all say money can't buy happiness. But then at the same time, we say, if I just had a couple more of these, life would be a little easier. Life would be a little better. Life would be a little happier. Why? Because we believe in God, yet we trust God money to provide the things we think will make us happy. If I just had a little bit more of this, I would be happier. And the reality is, if I just had a little bit more of this, I would be happy. If I just had a little bit more of God in my life, I would be a whole lot more full of joy and happy than this will ever get me. And the proof of this in America today is look at, look at most Americans. We are absolutely drowning in debt in America. And many preachers, many pastors, many churches don't preach against debt the way we preach against other sin. You got to understand, debt is just as much sin as as alcoholism and drug addiction and, and pornography addiction. Debt is just as much sin in America. And we're not talking about, you know, business debt. We're talking about personal debt that most Americans have. We are drowning in debt as Americans. And now listen, there are some exceptions. In America, there are people who've had serious medical challenges and bills have, have become astronomical in their life. There, there, there are people who've married some dirtbag that walks out on them and leaves them with a mountain of debt. There are some exceptions in life. I get that. But the reality is many Americans today are drowning in debt. Why? Because we bought into the lie that if we can just get a little bit more of what this can buy, we'll be happy. If we can just get that car, even though we can't afford it. If we can just get that plasma, even though we can't afford it. If I can just get that purse or that new pair of shoes or wear those stylish jeans or get that jet ski or get that boat, even though I can't afford it. If I can just get the stuff that this buys, I will be a little bit more happy, a little bit more fulfilled and a little bit more secure with my life and that's the that's so many people in america today are drowning in debt in america living a life that we simply cannot afford because we bought the lie that this can make us happy second thing that money promises to provide that only god can deliver is security security 
Money promises to provide security. I know there's, there, there's certain people who, 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 who they buy into the lie of happiness. Money will make me happy. If I can just get those shoes, I'll feel better about myself. If I can just drive that car, I'll feel better. If my kids can go to this school, I'll feel better about myself. I'll be happy. For me, my issue, my weak spot as a pastor is security. And, and I've got to be honest with you today. For, for many people who are Christian atheists, we have a functional savior. We believe this can make us secure. If I can get enough of this, I will feel secure. And I hate to admit today that that that's what I've done. I've I've literally designed my life where I don't need God. I I have tried to design my life where I don't need God. What do I mean? Well, I want to pay off all of my debts, get as many of these as I can in savings, and buy all the life insurance I could possibly buy so that no matter what happens in my life, I am financially secure. You understand what I'm saying? And there's nothing wrong with those things if you're doing it with the right heart motive. See, if you're doing it out of good stewardship, because the Bible does teach you how to save, the Bible does teach you how to be a good steward and be smart with your money. But if you're doing it with the heart motivation to make you feel secure, to make you feel like you're okay, like you're protected. The reality is only God can give you ultimate security. You can have all the money in the world, but it can't protect you in life. Only God can give you security. Money is unreliable. We know that. And I know many of you are saying, well, well Pastor, that's not me. Well, just look at your response to the struggling economy. I mean, look at what happens when the stock market plunges and, and somebody starts jacking with your money. Whoa, you freak out. I mean, you fall apart, you stress out, you stay up all night giving yourself ulcers over the... Why? Because you claim to believe in God, but if somebody starts jacking with this, by golly, you better watch out. You understand what I'm saying? And why is this such an issue for so many of us? Because money, in your notes, is the number one competitor for our hearts. The number one competition you have as a human being uh, against God for your heart is money. Money is competing with God for your heart. It's the number one. There are a lot of things that compete with your heart, but the number one competition, the Bible says, for your heart is money. See, God wants your heart and money wants the place of God in your life. Money wants to be God. Money says, I can make you secure. I can make you happy. If you get more of me, you'll feel better about yourself. You'll feel secure. You'll feel safe. And so money competes with your heart with God. First Timothy chapter six and verse 10, the Bible says it like this. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, let me ask you, is money evil? Is money evil? No, not at all. No, money is not evil. There's no way money is evil. Money is neutral. Money is not evil. It says, for the love of money is the root of all. Can the things that money buy, is that evil? No, not at all. It's the love of money, the desire of money, trusting in money that is the root of all kinds of evil. The rest of the verse says, and some people craving have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now, I want you to, I want you to see what it's saying. There. It says they've wandered from true faith. That means at one point in their life, these were born again believers. These were men and women who had true faith in God. They were born again. They were serving God. They were in the church and money pulled them away from God. 
We're not talking about unsaved, greedy people out in the world. We're talking about Christians who began to crave money either for happiness or security in their life, and that money pulled them away from true faith. See, money, money is neutral. It's the love of it. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 16, verse 13. Nobody can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. That's why money is the number one. Jesus said it right there. Money is the number one competition. Notice how the Bible doesn't say you can't serve God in yourself. You can't serve God in power. You can't serve God in sex. You can't serve God in your family. It says you cannot serve God and money. Jesus was saying this is the number one competition for your heart. He knew this was competing. And he knew this is the one thing that will pull so many of us away from a true faith in God. Why? Because it is a false God that wants to be number one in your life. Let me give you the Christian approach. The Christian approach is God wants us to love and to serve and to worship God. And use money. But do you know how many of us live our life? Many of us live our life, we love and we worship and we serve money and we use God. That's how many of us live. We worship this and we use this. God help, God bail me out, God show up. We put our faith in money and we use God when we need him to bail us out of a certain situation in our life. I know this is painful this morning. I know this is a tough message to swallow, but I want you to deal with it. I want you to feel it for a second. I want you to really let this grip you today. I mean, it's painful for me. This security issue in my life goes deep. Growing up, my background, you know, being around parents who've declared bankruptcy and just financial insecurity, I want to feel secure. I want my son to feel, this goes deep in my life. Me wanting to trust in money for security. I want us to look at today two rich men in the Bible that encountered Jesus and how their lives uh, or the response they had after encountering two different men in the Bible who encountered Jesus and what happened. What was their response to being in the presence of Jesus? What was their response to, to getting to know Jesus? How did they how did they walk away from their encounter with Jesus? And I think most of us will find ourselves in one of these two responses. The first one in Matthew chapter 19, we just saw a modern video illustration of that at the beginning of the message. It was the rich young ruler, the Bible says. And let me give you some background on this guy. This was a good man. This was a good man. He was a moral and a righteous man. He obeyed the law of Moses. He was a church goer. This guy that the Bible is talking about, Matthew chapter 19, is like many of us who attend church on a regular basis. We are good people. We are moral people. We're good. We're respected in the community. We live good, decent, honest lives. This wasn't a greedy man. This wasn't a materialistic man. This wasn't a, a crook or a criminal. This was an honest, wealthy, young, rich, respected, moral man. And he comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, obey the law. And he says, I've done it all. And Jesus said, one thing you lack. And this is the only time Jesus had ever said this to somebody. He said, one thing you lack, sell 
everything. Jesus told him in Matthew 19, verse 21, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Jesus had never said this to anyone else before. This is the only time Jesus had ever said this to somebody. And why did he say it to this particular young man? I believe Jesus recognized that this guy was a Christian atheist. This guy believed in God, but he trusted in money. And Jesus says, you got one thing between you and God. You've, you've got one thing that has a more important place in your life than God. You have something in your life that you trust in, you cherish in, you love more than God. And that is your money. Sell everything you have, then you can come follow me. In verse 22, it says, but when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. He wasn't willing to let go of this. He had many possessions. And I know most of you are, are, are sitting out there right now saying, I would never do that. I would never do that. But the reality is many of us do that every single day in our lives. Many of us, every single day of our life, we choose the things of this world over the things of God. The reality is today, for many of you, you will watch more television shows on your DVR today than you will spend in prayer all week long. Deal with that. Many of you will spend more on coffee a year than you will spend on kingdom projects or, 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 or kingdom uh, 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 gifts. Why? Because we treasure this. You know, the average American today in, in the United States spends six hours a week shopping either online or in malls and 40 minutes a week playing with their children. I mean, let that sink in for a moment. Why? Because we believe in God, yet we trust, we love, we cherish, we serve this. This consumes us. Let me ask you, when you wake up in the morning, what do you think about? Like when you first get up in the morning, are you thinking about how you're going to get through the week? How are you going to pay bills? Are you, are you, are you obsessing about that, 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 that new car, that new purse or something that you want? Or when you wake up in the morning, do you wake up asking yourself, how can I be more generous? How can I give more? How can I, how can I do more for the kingdom of God? How can I live more for eternal significance than, than, than something that is temporal and earthly and material? What do you think about when you wake up in the morning? Just be honest for a moment. See, the rich guy says, I'm sorry, I want to follow you. I want to give, up, give you my life, but I can't let go of these. And that's why Jesus says it is harder for a rich man to get into heaven than it is a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And you know what the problem with this passage is? You know what the problem with this story? The, the big problem that we have here today Every single one of you knows somebody who is richer than you. So you automatically assume this is not talking about you. Every one of you, you automatically say, I'm not the rich person. I know who rich people are. They live over there. I'm not one of them. This isn't me. I know what, you know, I'm not the one, I'm the 99. I, I, this is not me. I'm not rich. And that's the problem in America today is every one of us knows somebody who we think is greedier, more materialistic or, or, or wealthier or richer than we are. So we automatically assume it's not talking about us. You know, what I honestly believe, I honestly believe 
the, 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 the lower middle class, the upper middle class people in America have the hardest time finding God, even more than the wealthy people in America. Why? Because when you're lower middle class, when you're middle class, when you're upper middle class, you pride yourself in being a good person. I'm a good person. I'm honest. I'm decent. I'm a good person. And it becomes harder for us to find God. But if you really look at the world today, do you realize 60% of the world we live in lives on less than $2 a day? I told you last week, if you drove a car to church today, you are in the top 3% of the wealthiest people in the entire world. If you drove a car to church. I mean, you got to get this. The rest of the world is looking at you saying, what? You mean you've got a toilet in your house with running water? You are filthy rich. You mean, you mean when you go to bed at night, you actually have a pillow and a mattress? Do you understand how obscenely and filthy rich you are? You have running water in your house? You have an air, you have a heater in your house? There's a roof, you've got a, you've got a real floor, not a mud hut? I don't think we understand how filthy rich we are. I don't think we get sometimes that this is talking to us. We are at such a spiritual disadvantage in America today, and especially here in North County. Because the truth is, most of you here today have never actually had the blessing of praying the prayer, Lord, give us today our daily bread. Most of you have never had to pray that prayer. Most of you have never had to pray, God, I have no food, I have no money, and I'm hungry, and I want to eat, feed me. Most of you have never had to pray that prayer. We are at such a spiritual disadvantage to the rest of the world. We've never had to actually ask God to feed us and then watch him come through on our behalf. Second rich guy I want to talk about was not well-liked. He wasn't like the first rich young ruler who people liked and they respected and he was a good man and he was moral. This guy was a crook. He was despised. People hated this guy. He, he was basically a legal criminal. He was a tax collector, which meant if you owed the government $50, he could tell you you owed the government 80 and he would keep 30 and give the government 50 and he could do it legally and people knew he was doing it and they hated him for it. They despised him. This wasn't a churchgoer. You know, the, the first guy was moral and righteous and a churchgoer. This guy was a crook. I mean, he was despised. He was hated. His name was Zacchaeus, and he was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. For those of you that grew up in Sunday school. And he climbed up in a sycamore tree because the Lord he wanted to see. He was a short little guy. Jesus is coming to town, and he wants to see Jesus. He wants to encounter Jesus. So he climbs up this sycamore tree so that he can see Jesus. And Jesus stops and says, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house for dinner tonight. Zacchaeus is so excited. The Lord, the Savior, the Messiah wants to come into his, his home. He encounters God. He encounters Jesus. Jesus reaches out to him with grace and love and says, I'll forgive you. I'll love you. I'll come eat dinner at your home. Even though everyone else despises you, I'll accept you. Zacchaeus' life changes. Luke chapter 19, verse 8, we see his response to encountering Christ. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. 
And Lord, if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. He encounters Jesus and his life changes. His values change. You see, before Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus loved this. He cherished this. It was all about the things, the stuff, the bling. What can I get? How can I live a better life for me? He encounters Jesus and this no longer has a hold on him. This is no longer important to him. He doesn't care about this anymore. Now he's trying to see how much he can give away. It's no longer about how much he can get. Now it's about how much he can give. What can I do? How can I? I'm going to give it all. I'm going to give half to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone, I'm going to pay them back four times as much. You know, in the honest truth in my life, if I can just be real honest, the times I find myself wanting stuff. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, just, just obsessing over stuff. I mean, obsessing over a vacation I can't afford, obsessing over, over getting something I don't need, just wanting stuff. If I'm really honest about it, when I look at those seasons of my life, they're the times I'm the furthest away from God. When I find myself wanting stuff, I find that, 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 that my relationship with God isn't close. Because what I've realized in my life is the closer I get to God, the closer, the better I am in my walk with God, my devotional time, my prayer time, my time in the Word, the closer I get to God, the less I want stuff. The closer I get to God, the less I want. I, I just find myself being at peace with where I'm at. Don't shake that. Feel it right now. Deal with that for a moment. You know, reflect on your life for just a second and ask yourself the seasons where you're in want, the seasons when you're, when you, I got to get that, I got to have that, I got to want, I want that, I need that, it's going to make me happy. Ask yourself, are you really close to God during those times in your life? Because this is like a great litmus test. Closer you get to him, the more things lose their power. Let me give you two things that happens when you fall in love with Jesus. Two things that happen when you really encounter God and you get in his presence. Number one, you become strangely content. It doesn't make sense to people around. You just become strangely content. When everyone around you is trying to keep up with the Joneses, you find yourself strangely content with where you are. It's it's just a weird, you know, when you get closer to God, you find yourself strangely content. 1 Timothy chapter 6, moving on to 17 and 19, it says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to... And who are the rich? That's us, middle-class America. We are filthy rich, lower-middle-class America. With me, we are obscenely filthy rich if we are lower-middle-class America. Let's just own that for a second. Let's just own that for a minute. I know you like to think, I'm not one of the rich. I know who the rich are. I know where they live. That's not me. Let's own it for a minute. If we are lower middle class America, we are obscenely filthy rich in the world. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. I mean, no, that is truth right there. That is true. This is unreliable. Just wake up and look at the last two years in America, and it will tell you how unreliable this is. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. You know what word I want to stop on for a moment is that word enjoyment. Because I think many Christians don't know how to enjoy the blessings of God. Do you realize playing golf can actually bring you closer to God if you do it with the right heart and attitude? It doesn't for me because I tend to hit the ball where they don't mow the grass, so I don't get closer to God. I get more frustrated and angry. But for some people, playing golf 
can actually bring you closer to God if you do it. Spending a day with your children can you bring you closer to God. Going out on your boat can bring you closer to God. How? If you recognize where it came from and you thank him for it, then you can enjoy everything because he richly gives you all you need for your enjoyment. He wants you to enjoy the blessings he's given you. He doesn't want you to trust them. He doesn't want you to love them. He doesn't want you to worship them. He doesn't want you to serve them. But he doesn't mind if you enjoy them. So enjoy it. You got a boat? Enjoy it. Thank God for it. Recognize him for it and go enjoy it. Because he wants you to. I think so many Christians think that we got to live horrible, miserable lives and we're not allowed to enjoy anything because if we enjoy it, we're greedy and materialistic. That's not what it's talking about. Greedy and materialistic means you love it, you worship it, you serve it. Enjoying it is a completely different thing. If you can thank God for it and recognize him for it, then you can enjoy it. And it can actually, whatever that blessing is, bring you closer to him if you do it with the right heart and the right attitude. Let me ask you, if you pursue everything that this provides, and I'm, I'm saying really pursue it. Pursue it with all your heart. You know, sacrifice your family, sacrifice your health, pursue everything this, this provides. Ask yourself at the end of life, are you really fulfilled? Did it really provide you true fulfillment? Because so many of us, we, we claim to believe in God, yet we trust in money. And when you pursue the things of God, these don't hold you. It doesn't hold you. And, and this is what God's doing in my life. We, my wife and I drove into our garage the other day, and we opened up the garage, and we looked around, and we have so much junk. I mean, we have accumulated and collected so much stuff. And we just said to ourselves, enough is enough. If we can't be happy with all of this, then there is something really sick with us. If we can't be strangely content about all that we have, even though we, don't, we, we may not have as much as others, but if we can't be content with what we have, there is something deeply wrong and deeply sick with us. When you fall in love with Jesus, you become strangely content. Lastly, number two. You also become irrationally generous. Let me say that again. You become irrationally generous when you encounter Christ. I don't care what you say. You can argue with me all day long. If you have truly encountered Christ, you become irrationally generous. You see it all throughout the Bible. You see it all throughout life. You can't claim to really have an encounter with Christ without one of the byproducts, without the fruit of that encounter, causing you to be irrationally generous. It's just the truth. I mean, you, you, may, you may own that for a minute. I mean, you may act like that's not true, but own that for a minute. If you really encounter God, then you become irrationally generous with these. And that is the mark of anyone. We just read about Zacchaeus. He encountered Christ. What happened? He became irrationally generous. I think about, we have a young Marine in our church, Jeremy, who has a newborn baby, a two-year-old and a four-year-old. He just deployed on Friday for a 13-month deployment. I don't know how those guys do it. That's tough. I was over at his house Thursday night praying with him before he left. Thursday, the day before he's deploying, he's packing, you know, spending time with his family. One of their friends came over, a single mom going through an ugly divorce, two teenage girls struggling, don't have a place to live. So, so, they're, so, so they're living in Jeremy's house while he's gone. And she pulls up in a truck with, with tires with the threads showing on their tires. I mean, he's deploying for 13 months a day. This guy doesn't have a lot of money. 
I mean, he's a Marine. I mean, I've been to his house. He doesn't have a whole bunch. He doesn't have this huge savings. He emptied his savings, $600, took her down to discount tire, bought her four brand new tires for her truck a day before he's deploying. That's irrationally generous. That's somebody who is not tied up and consumed with the things of this world. And let me just give you the facts today. And I want you to just own this for a minute. 21% of people who regularly attend church in America today give $0 to their church every year. 21% of people who who regularly attend church give $0 a year to their church. Why? Because we trust this. We love this. We serve this. We worship this. We can't let go of this. You know, you know, it's even more shocking. 71% of people who regularly and faithfully attend church in America today give less than 2% of their income to God. 71% of people who faithfully attend church give less than 2%. Why? Because we love this. We serve this. We can't let go of this. Now, at Coastline Church, you know, we are unapologetic. We believe in tithing. And let me give you the definition of tithing, because I hear a lot of people come to me all the time. They say, well, Pastor, that really convicted me. I need to increase my tithe. How do you mathematically increase 10%? Can you increase 10% mathematically? If, 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 if Tithe means 10%, a tenth part. It's 10%. You can't increase 10%. You either give 10% or you don't give 10%, but you cannot increase a tithe. It is mathematically impossible to increase a tithe. Because the definition of tithe is the first tenth, 10%. I just want to clear that up because I have a lot of people who are confused and they say to me all the time, I really need to increase my tithe. I'm only giving 6% or or 5% or or 2%. You're not tithing. That's just the honest truth. You're either tithing or you're not tithing. Tithing is 10%. It does not change for you. It it means 10%. That's the definition of the word. So I just want to clear that up. Uh, We believe in tithing here. And we're unapologetic about it. We believe it is our joy, it is our privilege, it is our honor to return to God what he commanded. This is not my idea, it's in the Bible, New Testament, Old Testament. We believe it is our joy, our honor to return to God the first 10% of all we earn because we love him, we appreciate him because of all he's done for us. It is our honor to return the first 10%. And it's the only place in the Bible that we get to test him. The only, the only place in the Bible God says, test me and see if I'll not throw out the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing in so many different ways in your life that you can't contain it all. The only place that we have to test him on it. And I have people to say, say to me often, Pastor, do you, do, you, do you understand what you're saying? Do you understand what you're trying to teach? Do you understand what the Bible is telling us? 10%? I mean, after the government gets their hands on it and after I pay out 10%? Do you realize what it would take for me to give 10%? I would have to change my entire lifestyle to be able to give 10%. I would have to reprioritize, restructure our finances. I would have to make sacrifices. I couldn't live the life I wanted to live to be able to give 10%. I would have to make major changes in my finances to be able to return to God 10%. You're asking me to change my life for God. Yes. And look at how beautiful that is, that we have the honor to literally change our lifestyle, to reprioritize our values, to restructure our life for a loving God that gave everything for us. How beautiful is that? That's that's incredibly beautiful that we have the privilege to do that, that we have the opportunity to rebuild our life on him. 
Yet most of us are trying to serve leftovers to a holy God. So most of us do. We try, God, here's 3%. I got it left over at the end of the month that I didn't need. Here you go. Oh, God, here's 6% that we didn't use this month. Here you go. We're serving leftovers to a holy God. And we think that God's going to accept it, that God is pleased with that. God says, I want the first 10% so that you have to live on faith the rest of the month. He doesn't say, God, God never said, I want 10% at the end of the month if you had it left over. There's no faith in that. There's no faith in giving God 10% at the end of the month. God says, I want the first 10% so that you have to actually live in faith. And we want to serve leftovers to a holy God. And we're not the first ones to do it. They did it in the Bible. Malachi chapter 1, you've got some ranchers that are coming into the temple to offer sacrifices to the Lord. They're offering a burnt offering to the Lord. And they didn't want to give their best. They didn't want to give their first and their best. They had these broken down animals on the side. They had these animals on the side who who were broken down and crippled and blind and lame. And they said to themselves, if we take these animals to the marketplace, nobody's going to buy them. We're not going to make any money off of these. These are not profitable. These are my leftovers that I'm not going to make any money on. So I'll bring them to the temple and offer them to God. I'm not going to give God my best because those are valuable. That's valuable to me. Here's my leftovers, God. Malachi 1 verse 8. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. See, we as believers have the opportunity, the privilege, the joy of arranging our life around God. But the reality for many of us is we will give as long as it doesn't infringe upon our lifestyle, as long as it doesn't hurt, as long as we don't have to feel it, as long as I don't have to sacrifice that extra latte every week I'll give to God. But I'm not going to give if it costs me. I'm not going to give if I have to feel it. I'm not going to give if it hurts. I'm not going to give if I have to actually change my lifestyle or sacrifice in any way. I'm not going to give. I'll give if I have it left over, but I'm not going to give if it hurts. I'll give if I have enough of these. But I'm not going to give if I actually have to have faith in him. You know what I'm saying? That's why many people live in America today. I love David's philosophy. 2 Samuel 24, 24. David shows up to the temple to offer a burnt offering. One of his people that loved him said, listen, David, I'll give you, I'll give you the oxen to offer as a sacrifice. I want to give this to you to bless you. What was David's response? 2 Samuel 24, 24. No. I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that have cost me nothing. David said, I'm not giving anything to God if it didn't cost me. If I didn't feel it, if it didn't hurt in some way, if I didn't have to sacrifice to do it, if it didn't take faith, I'm not giving anything to God that has not cost me. I want to feel it. I need to feel it. I need to know this cost me something to put God first in my life. And listen, I, I know this is rough for many people to hear this. I, I get it. But I've seen what God does. I remember nine years ago, and I'm going to share this story in closing. We're not going to take a long time at the end. We're just going to be out of here in just a few moments. But about nine years ago, God came to me and asked me to be irrationally generous. And it was tough. At that time in my life, I was earning $24,000 a year living in Los Angeles. How I many know that's not a lot of money to live in L.A.? 
for six years prior, I saved up and saved and saved and saved because I wanted to get a piece of real estate, a condo, a house, something. And I saved up $10,000. I had $10,000 in savings. And God came to me and said, I want you to give it to the church. And I said, get thee behind me, Satan. That is not from God. God, you don't understand. I worked six years for that money. That's mine. God, that's mine. I worked for that. I mean, it took me six years to save up that money, God. He said, give it. So I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled, but I finally wrote that check. And it hurt. I felt it. But the word God spoke to me is he said, listen, if I can give it to you once, I can give it to you any time I want to give it to you. Any time I can give it to you. The miracle of it, six months later, I wrote another $10,000 check to the church. I didn't get a raise. I didn't win the lottery. I, I don't understand how the math worked out. But six months later, it took me six years to save up $10,000. Six months later, I wrote another $10,000 check. I don't understand it. Nine months after that, I got the greatest return on investment in the history of my life. I mean, it was incredible. It was amazing. Nine months after, I was irrationally generous. I, I stepped out in obedience to the Lord. God brought into my life the most incredible, amazing, wonderful person. I met my wife. That is worth far more than any check you could ever give me. More precious than rubies and gold. God brought the most amazing. I, I got to admit, I hit it out of the park. I, I married way above my league. And I truly believe that was the blessing. That was the return on investment. I, I stepped out. I was irrationally generous. God, I, I, I've wanted to get married for, for, you know, since I was young, I wanted to get married. You know, I didn't grow up in a family, so I wanted a family more than anything. I was 30 years old. I stepped out in faith. God brought to me the most incredible woman ever. I want you to close your eyes for a minute. It's so easy today to zone out this message, to glaze over it, to not feel it, to not let it hurt. I get it. I get it. For many of you right now, you're thinking of, you know, this TV preacher that abused money. You're thinking of a pastor that took the church's money and split town. I get it. I understand when you hear a pastor talk about money, it's tough. There are a lot of pastors in America that have abused money. I get that. I understand but what I want you to do for a moment is I want you to take me out of the equation. Forget about me. Take the human. There's always going to be a hypocrite. There's always going to be a, a, a failure. There's always going to be a human. Take me out of the equation for a moment. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you about the scripture you heard today. About the message. Because it's so easy to reason this out and say it's another pastor talking about money. I get that. You know, I know there's been a lot of people that have abused money in America. But guess what? It's not just pastors. We've seen it on Wall Street. We've seen the Enron scandal. We've seen a lot of people in America abuse money. Take, take the human element out of the equation and, and face God for a moment. This is between you and God. This is your heart with God. Take the human equation out and let this message speak to you right now.
And as we close, if you came to church today and God does not have first place in your life, there are other things in your life that are more important than God. You know who you are. There's other things in your life right now more important than God. But today you want to make a commitment to put God first. On the back of the Connect card, there's a little box that says, I made a decision to put God first in my life. I encourage you to check that. Turn it into one of the uh, offering boxes in the back. And we want to meet with you. We want to connect with you during the week and help you learn how to live your life with God first. A great way to do it is come Wednesday night to Fusion. Get in the house of God. Get around believers. Get, get in the community of God. It'll help you walk out God being first in your life. And that's our ultimate desire here is to help connect you with God, help you learn how to put God first in your life. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Believe me, I know it's been a tough morning. It's been tough for me. I've not wanted to say half this stuff. I mean, it's God's been dealing with me on some of this stuff. You know, again, like I said, it's so easy for me to put my security in money and not my hope and trust in God. So I, I, I get how this is a tough, tough message. But I think it's time for many of us to really wake up to what Christianity is all about. You know, we're trying to fit God into our preference. You know, God created us in his image and we're trying to return the favor and create him back in the image. We want a God like this and we want to believe this. And these are the parts of the Bible we like, but we don't want to hear the other parts of the Bible that we don't like because they kind of challenge our lifestyle. They, they challenge our comfort. They challenge, you know, whatever it is. I think it's time that we really learn what it means to be a Christian. It's not a country club. It's not a social group. It's not a name tag. It is a faith in a holy God, and we are living for eternity. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would bless these people with faith. You said it is so hard for rich people to get saved. It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. But then you went on to say what is impossible for man is possible with God. And so, Lord, through your supernatural grace and through the power of your spirit, we can put you first in our life. And it's a daily battle. But with your power and with your grace, we can put you first in our life. So we pray right now, God, that you would give us the supernatural grace and the power of your Holy Spirit so that we can live lives that reflect and glorify you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.